Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Hey, listeners, welcome to this fall 2021 edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words, part of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. In this episode, we visit with Mike Bond, author of America, Volume 1, a novel set against the backdrop of the transformative and turbulent 1960s. Following the lives of four young people as they navigate the political and social landscape of the time, Vietnam War and the fight for equality, the assassination of a young idealistic president, the rise of rock and roll music, and the scientific discoveries of the decade. The Washington Times called Mike Bond one of the 21st century's most exciting authors, spellbinding readers with a writing style that pits hard-boiled force of nature-like character against politically adept, staccato-paced plots. Before we jump into the uninterrupted interview today, I'd like to thank you for being here. We are grateful for your presence and uh, really appreciate your time joining us here on the podcast. I'm your host, Landis Wade. I'm a uh, recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories. And if you run out of things to do one day, you can check me out at uh, LandisWade.com. Find out more about uh, me and uh, my writing. For everything related to the podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. We've got show notes on each episode uh, with images and links. We've also got a community blog there. Uh, if you're a writer, you can submit there. We've got a lot of great content. And speaking of great content, uh, we put out a book report every two weeks. It's free to sign up for, and uh, there's some free stuff you get when you sign up. You can check that out at the uh, podcast website. Uh, hey, we won't spam you because, frankly, that takes way too much time. Speaking of free stuff, if you like audiobooks and you go to libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O.fm, and uh, sign up with uh, their audiobook service, uh, use the promo code Charlotte Reader and get a free audiobook. Last thing I want to tell you right quick before we jump into the episode is that we have what's called a Patreon channel, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. It's a place where our authors uh, and I do a deeper dive into the craft of writing and the business of writing. And uh, you can join us there and, and support the podcast when you do for uh, as little as $5 a month or $8 if you tip. Uh, we put out a lot of content on that page, and uh, we've had a lot of fun doing it. I, I've certainly learned a lot about the craft and business of writing on our Patreon page. So join us uh, at Patreon or through our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. But enough of this prologue. Let's get to today's episode. Mike, welcome to the show. Well, I'm very happy to be here, Landis. Thank you very much. Yeah, that, that's some high praise there. You know, uh, your spellbinding readers. Uh, with hard-boiled, force-of-nature-like characters. Well, I think when you've lived hard, you can uh, sometimes uh, be able to tell about it, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think yeah. you you got to go through the, the real world to be able to write about it. That was kind of not apropos of much of anything, except um, it's I, I try in all my books, Landis, to, to, to be real, and real includes wonderful things and, and, and tragic things. So uh, it's always a mix. And there's always violence and there's always peace and love. Yeah. And speaking of, uh, you know, life experience, uh, you speak many languages, I understand. You've been on every continent. 
you've climbed and trekked over 50,000 miles if I'm getting my facts right. So yeah. how does this happen? How does this happen, Mike? And what have you learned trekking 50,000 miles? Well, it's it's one of the most wonderful experiences um, it, that one can that one can do is just long distance walking. It puts you back in the rhythm of two million years of our ancestors. Um, and that 50,000 miles, my wife and I got married 48 years ago, and that's the number we figured on that we have walked together since then. And it, we've trekked every, every continent in the world, all over New Zealand, the Himalayas, Europe, uh, Asia, Africa, North and South America, um, even Antarctica, which is fun, not that bad. So anyway, so <laughs> it, 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 it gives you when you when your life slows to the rhythm of your footsteps and when you're surrounded as we always try to do when we're hiking you you are back in the primeval world and um there's no way to explain it to someone who doesn't do it i don't mean you i mean you know other people that live in the city never walk anywhere never get their feet on grass um they live a different life, and I'm not critical. I'm just saying I'm very grateful to be able to have done what I've done. The, the open spaces, uh, nature, open spaces, forests, mountains, trees, uh, are just a wonderful part of life. Yeah, I love being outdoors as well, uh, up in the mountains and, uh, you know, walking and uh, mm -hmm. everything. And uh, even went out to Yosemite with my son for a trip one time. I think we hiked yeah. uh, 28 miles in 48 hours. He whoa, about kicked my whoa. butt. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so that was, that was kind of tough. But uh, so let's a little bit about you as a, uh, you, you know, for our listeners here, you were, you were dubbed the master of the existential thriller by the BBC, uh, one of America's best thriller writers by Culture Buzz. Um, you've got a lot of awards just on your website. Your previous books have included a title like Holy Wars, Assassins, A Tale of Love and War, uh, you know, The Tibetan Cross, The House of Jaguar, uh, and the list goes on. But what, what I'm, the question I'm getting to, Mike, is America, and I, and I enjoyed the book, by the way. I enjoyed reading it. It's a much different book. It's a much different book than these thrillers that you've written. It's certainly not an existential thriller. And I'm just curious about <laughs> I'm just curious about the shift. You know, uh, there there has to be a story behind the story of why Mike Bond wanted to write this book and the books that are going to follow. That's a really good question, Anderson. What this is a book um, that I've kind of been writing in my head ever since I was young. Um, it starts out in country in a situation which was my youth and. Uh, much of what's in volume one and in the the next few volumes, all of them, are uh, taken from my own individual experience and the in, and the experience of people I've known, uh, many people, some of whom were famous, uh, like Bobby Kennedy, uh, Martin Luther King, some uh, were just close friends and people I cared about or people I was involved in bad situations with and uh, but I don't see that. I don't mean they were bad. I mean, the situation was bad. And one always becomes very close with someone when you're in a bad situation. But the, the reason why this is different is that uh, all my books, I mean, the nine thrillers that preceded, uh, I use the thriller genre as a way of trying to deal with an important, an important moral human rights, psychological, spiritual uh issue. And in the case of uh, House of Jaguar, it was 
CIA operations and death squads in Latin America. In in the last Savannah, for instance, it was uh, the elephant poaching largely uh, undertaken for the Chinese. Uh, in all of my books, in Assassins, I try, because I've been involved in a lot of it, I try to cover the last 30-odd years of America's uh, war with uh, the middle in the middle east principally with islamic fundamentalism and i always try in these books to show every side uh i'm i'm not beating a drum but when you, when you can write well enough to deeply involve the person who's reading it what happens then is that it becomes for the reader an emotional experience and becomes part of her or his memory and therefore it's much more powerful, hopefully, than uh, certainly the nonfiction. Um, and I'm, I'm, every one of my books is, a, is an examin examination of what is life. What is this incredible mystery that uh, I'm sure you and I could talk about for days. But, uh, but it's, and, and where I changed with, with America in the following series of books is that I realized nobody had ever really written a a fictional a, a fictional history or a history in fiction of the 60s and then so because it was a very wild time and it had enormous transformative effects on individuals more so than other decades uh, and and also on the culture itself world, worldwide and politically um and i really wanted to to be able to Put that down so people could understand what really went on in the 60s between firefights in Vietnam and anti-war protests and uh, being high on LSD and and the, the pill making free love for everyone that wanted it, uh, which wasn't a bad idea. And on and on. I really wanted to I really wanted to create a great film of that whole period. And then I, as I got through with the first three books, I realized I wanted to carry the same uh, characters, the same four young people who are closely related and, and have deep uh, emotional relationships with each other. I wanted to carry them throughout their whole lives. As, as I am getting older, I look back at, at what happened in my life and how one changes and how one's relationships and loves change or don't change. And I guess I want in, Amer in the series of America to carry this group of people and our history right up to the present from the 1950s. That's a long-winded answer. You're not going to want to ask no. me any more questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. I, I was just wondering because I can see that, like me, you've got a little bit of gray in your hair and everything. Did, do you, did you have some personal experiences uh, uh, that reside in the 60s that, uh, that find their way into the book or that might influence some of the other books in the series? Yeah, basically most of America is my own personal experiences. Um, I, I was involved uh, it, back then. I was doing a lot of uh, I was doing a lot of, of war work uh, reporting and, and human rights reporting. So I was consistently in really bad places with a lot of tragedy going down, and. So those all end up in my book just by happenstance. I ended up in two CIA, really three CIA coups, and one in Greece, one in Indonesia, and then the consistent CIA coups in uh, Central America, Latin America. And um, 
Uh, so all of this, a lot of it is either my experience, including a lot of the war scenes. There's war scenes in there in the Middle East. There's war scenes in, in Africa. Uh, that, again, is my experience. So it's mostly, you know, I tend to write mostly, Landis, about what I specifically know. And I write about places I've been, situations I know. Yeah, and, and for the listeners, um, you've covered guerrilla wars, death squads, military dictatorships in Latin America, terrorism in the Middle East, ivory poaching and other battles in East Africa and Asia through your work as a, a journalist and an environmental activist. And I'm just curious, you know, that's a lot of nonfiction work. You know, you're covering what's <laughs> real, what's true. <laughs> what's true. Yeah. How, did you, how, did, how did you go from that to writing fiction? Because not all journalists do. Well, that's a good question. I think that... Um, if I really want to speak the truth, you have to go beyond nonfiction. Nonfiction is lovely to set specifics, uh, and it can give you a real good flavor of the time. And I'm, I'm probably not bright enough to write nonfiction. But the, for me, what counts is the story of life, of people's lives, of the emotional content, the incredible uh, the incredible spirit and, and hope and fear and dreams that we bring to every moment of our lives. So I, it just works better for me as, as fiction. And I think fiction is, is truer than, than nonfiction if it's done well. Yes. Good, good point. So just while we're pontificating here about the sixties, how do you think the sixties, sixties compare to what we're seeing in today's world? Well, that, that again, um, is a very good question, and it's one of the reasons why I'm continuing to write this series is to try to, uh, rather than give people my own opinions, what I'm trying to do is describe all of these periods accurately and then <clears throat> let the reader judge for herself or himself what they've learned or what seems to be true. But basically, we're in a very, very uh, destructive and confrontational time right now in the United States. And we were in the 60s as well, principally due to the Vietnam War. Uh, the Vietnam War tore the country right down the middle. And you had 55,000 young Americans go off and die, many, most of them atrociously. And we killed 2 million people in, the, in, in Indonesia, or maybe three, um, it was a very divisive thing, and it led to huge protests, enormous attacks. I mean, in my book, in my second book, I described the attack on the Pentagon, uh, and uh, it it there was as well. That was just one part of the puzzle in the '60s. And in addition, there was this this real battle to begin to deal with civil rights issues. And uh, so, in 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 America, I write because I was there. I write about the voting, the voting, uh, uh, the freedom movement in the South, and the voting help and everything else, and the dangers involved in that. And and also there were enormous riots, and and there were 200 cities in the 1960s in the U.S. that burned partially or almost entirely. Detroit being a good example, which is in my second book. Um, so. That was a very destructive time, but there wasn't there wasn't the break apart issue. It was everybody angry at each other, but there wasn't. You know, I read a poll the other day that in some states the majority of people would like to see the country divide into two uh, 
two, two regions. And uh, this includes in California, the majority of Democrats would like to see uh, California move away from some of what it considers to be the more conservative states. And the, I, I've li lived in Montana for a long time, so uh, I'm very aware of how people up there see the world. And, it's, and I lived in San Francisco, too, and you couldn't look for two more opposite locations. But um, so I think that I think that the 60s, though, with the Vietnam War and racial hatred and also the these amazing drugs that suddenly appeared, uh, not only marijuana, I mean, all of these drugs have a long history of human use, but um, LSD and particularly LSD, but also psilocybin had an enormous effect on people's minds. And, and the same with marijuana, as I say in America, you know, young men who smoke marijuana and enjoy the the, all of the free love that suddenly b blossomed there and listened to rock and roll. And they didn't want to go off to Vietnam, get their head blown off. There was no positive value to that. You know, it wasn't as if we were defending something important. We were just making war. So, I, again, I'm wandering around your question, not meaning to in any way, Landis. It just, mm -hmm. I think that, I think we're almost at a more historical um, point right now. And I'm reminded of Will Durant saying that, uh, for, before any great country can be conquered, it first must be destroyed from within. And I think that's what we're doing in America now. We're destroying the country from within. All right. Well, let's get back to some hope then. Uh, we'll start with the, <laughs> with the yeah, series I itself. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Uh, before we do our reading, which we do on the on, on the show here, um, just a little bit about the, the plans for the series. Of course, I read the book America, the first novel, which starts in the late fifties and runs to the, you know, to the early sixties to the assassination of president Kennedy. Um, how many books are in the series and how many books are there to come? Well, there's a total of seven in the series, Landis, and I've written three and that takes us almost through to 1980 actually. Um, and that leaves four more, uh, which will take us right up to 2020 or 2025 by the time I get them out. That's as, as long as I stick around that long. You never know, <laughs> <Okay>. you know. <laughs> All right, so Mike, we got, uh, we're going to have a reading now. I'm looking at the book cover. It's got uh, the Statue of Liberty on it. Uh, the title is America. Um, it's the first in this series that you've described. And you've got a preface from the book that I think gives us a good idea of what we're getting into uh, in this particular novel. So uh, whenever you're ready, uh, if you would read that for us, I'd appreciate it. Shall do, Landis. Thank you. Um, I'll just start right now. Um, after the Korean War ended in 1953, for nearly a decade, America was at peace. Despite the fear of communism, there was little active war. People flourished, ideas expanded, cities, roads, and suburbs grew. Rural and wild lands diminished. These were the last gentle years before America killed its president and collapsed into a war it could not win, into anti-war and civil rights revolutions, a bewildering new world of altered perceptions, and a chaotic tsunami of sexual and social evolutions. By 1965, Vietnam had shocked America with its horror, anguish, and brutality. A vast divide grew between those who supported the war and those against it. At the same time, the evils of segregation and the economic disparities within America were leading to a cosmic clash of riots and burning cities. Into this seismic rift, marijuana crashed its hedonic way 
enticing people to doubt many beliefs previously accepted, and to have fun, be kind, and follow the path with heart. And even worse, marijuana taught people to challenge authority by teaching that the individual has the right to decide how to live. Along with marijuana arrived other psychotropics that teased the mind into altered states of perception and wisdom with profound results on morality and behavior. At the same time, the pill began to change the sex lives of young Americans. For the first time, it was possible to make love with no fear of pregnancy. And as more and more people enjoyed more sex in the pleasures of marijuana, young men became less and less willing to go off to war and die. And into this primal upheaval erupted music, a new music, raw, nasty, sexy, sardonic, loud, sometimes based on ancient melodies and often very beautiful. Music that bypassed the mind and grabbed the heart. And with lyrics that replaced schmaltz with naked, dirty truths. It was earth-shaking, the profoundest upheaval to, to strike America since the Civil War. A tragic and unpopular war, plus racial conflict, mind-enhancing drugs, powerful music, and tons of wild sex. The 60s shook America to its foundation with worldwide ripple effects. They framed the end of the 20th century and where we are today. This first book of, of the America series covers nearly a decade in the lives of four young people, Mick, Tara, Daisy, and Troy, and of many others who with them experienced the joys and misery of the time. It opens, the it opens in the shadows of World War II and Korea and ends as the U.S. is sinking deeper into the horror of Vietnam. This first book begins and ends with a quest for love, for safety, for brotherhood, for hope, and for freedom. It's about the leap that must be taken before you land, the fear that must be surpassed, before you can grow and become whole, and the distance that must be traveled before the house lights beckon you back to whatever it is that you now call home. Uh, yeah, that's great, Mike. I, as I'm listening to you read this, um, I was thinking about all the reasons that people didn't want to go to war in Vietnam at the time. You know, they didn't believe in the war. They didn't. Uh, they were conscientious objectors mm -hmm. and so forth. But, but you sort of boiled it down to, as more people enjoyed sex and the pleasures of marijuana, young men became less and less willing to go off to war and die. <laughs> that's a, that's about the best reason you can think of, right? Yep. Yeah, you have, you know you have a choice in life. Either you can go outside and be shot, or you can stay here, have a lovely meal, wine, and and hang out with a sexy uh, partner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I'll choose option A or B, whichever one is staying here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. I. Well, look, let's talk about these four characters. Uh, for our listeners, uh, we're going to be having a Patreon episode called Creating Interesting and Engaging Characters with Mike Baum. We're going to do that after this episode. You can jump over to Patreon to uh, listen to that and support the podcast. It's at uh, patreon.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. But, uh, but Mike, let's talk just a few minutes about these four uh, characters. They start when they're very young. We first meet Mick. And Troy, starting with Troy. Troy is the um, the young boy who's orphaned as a child. Uh, he's found wandering around by Mick, um, and Mick is about his same age. Um, and then they end up this family that Mick's in, which he has a sister. 
uh, named Tara, uh, they sort of adopt Mick. And so we start this story at a very young age for these characters. Um, and eventually we meet a girlfriend that Mick has, who's Daisy. And these are sort of the four characters that you're following. But let's talk about each one of them just real quick, uh, mm-hmm. starting with mm-hmm. Tro- Troy, because he's the first one we see in the book. Well, Troy is, uh, <clears throat> Troy is, as you said, um, he's, he's in an orphanage and he's desperate to escape. The conditions are very poor. Uh, it's a boy's orphanage and um, conditions are very poor and brutal. And he, he escapes, uh, climb, manages to climb a fence and get out into the woods and, and uh, spend a couple of hours wandering the woods and eventually in an old army barracks meets Mick. Uh, and Mick finally invites him home and to have dinner with, with Mick's family. And that's where Troy meets Tara, Mick's sister, who becomes, they later on have a major love relationship. Uh, and however, Troy, even though the family ap- appreciates him, uh, he's caught by the police and taken back to the orphanage. He escapes again. And he and and Mick decide, because Mick's in trouble too in school, they decide to try to ride the rails south from rural New York all the way to Florida because they're convinced, knowing nothing about anything, these kids are 11 years old, they're convinced that in Florida you can eat coconuts and catch fish and live with, you know, live without uh, any other issues. So uh, they end up riding the rails trying to get first to uh, Washington, D.C., and then finally all the way to uh, Florida. And it, this is, again, taken from my own life, a buddy of mine and I. We were actually only nine when we left this rural place and hopped a freight car with the intention of going as far as we could. And we didn't get all that far, but it was a ma- magnificent uh, experience for a nine-year-old kid. And, I mean, we ended up hanging out with bums and and who were always incredibly generous and kind to us. Uh, and it was a wonderful experience. So that's that's how they met. And then when they go back to rural New York, then at this point, Troy is adopted by the family. And it turns out that Troy's father was a Marine who was killed in the Pacific in World War II. And of course, Mick's father is also a Marine who went through Tarawa and all these other horrible places. So there's a link there um and it's it's a rural situation it's basic it's a dairy farm where they also cook so they also sell several several hundred eggs a day they uh trying everything they can to to make ends meet and it's an old family farm um and over time it gets more and more difficult for the small family farm to make it because of the international the, the superhighways the new uh national uh, highway network uh, which brings in which allows trucks to bring in uh mass produced produce from other locations um so that's and, and then as you said daisy who lives in a nearby farm is mick's girlfriend it, they were they talked about getting married when they were 11 so you can see uh, i mean and, and this again is i had a girlfriend when she we were only nine and we talked about and she moved away and however i never got to see her again but you know a lot of this is is kind of based on youthful searching for what is life and those characters all in their own way embody that search 
Yeah, and, and they all kind of go off in, in different directions from this life on the mm-hmm. farm. Um, we have Mick, who's the football hero. He gets offered several scholarships. He he tries, I think it was, uh, was it Brown that he went to? And then he tried to, uh, or Williams, or one of the one of the Ivy League schools tried yeah, to get him to play Williams. there. Yeah, Williams, and he and he did and he didn't last. He, get, he kind of dropped out, and then he kind of goes back. And Troy is different. He's into the science, and you know he's kind of. But then Troy kind of gets into the, you know, military the academy. Yeah, yeah, the the yeah. academy there, and he wants to go into space, and you know, he's smart enough to do it. But then he has some issues that come along to challenge him. Tara. The sister becomes a musician, moves out to Berkeley. Uh, she's kind of she's really you're you're using her to take us into the to the love and peace side of the sixties, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Rock <laughs> yeah. and roll music, man. You can't beat it. You just can't beat it. And <laughs> and, uh, and then and then da- Daisy's off serving in sort of this iconic thing of the sixties called the Peace Corps, right? And uh, so you've got her. So you've got them all spread out, sort of at the end of this book. You kind of have a feeling as to where they might be headed. Um, but they've also had to overcome a number of obstacles already uh, in the, in this first book. Uh, and you've already talked about, you know, one of the memories you had, a couple that you had that found their way into the book. Um, are there any other inspirations that from your own life that uh, helped serve these particular characters? Well, uh, they're mostly all part of me. I, I, and I think all novelists um, end up writing about multiple versions of themselves or people they've loved. I mean, uh, the girlfriend, Daisy, goes on after the Peace Corps in book two to go to Stanford <clears throat> and get a Ph.D. Uh, in uh, basically in mind studies of the human brain. And uh, and she gets involved in all of the amazing scientific uh, studies done on LSD and psilocybin and all of these. There were over 5,000 technical university studies done of LSD in the 60s, most by Harvard and Stanford. Uh, And they found incredible benefits to the use of these uh, chemicals under the right conditions. And so she gets involved in that, which, of course, jams her up against the the Nixonian politics that decides that we have to outlaw all drugs. And but that's always been the study of the brain has always been part of my life. Uh, certainly, I uh, I very much appreciated the opportunity when I was younger to have many repeated uh, trips on LSD and mescaline and everything else. I, they were all wonderful, very instructive, and very helpful in understanding the world. Um, again, rock and roll. I'm a rock guitarist, so. Uh, and my parents were both vocalists, so uh, it the the Tara's music I I know it backwards and forwards. And again, Tara's view is that rock and roll is magical and is a way of reaching God, and particularly the electric guitar. And that's that's my perception as well. So that again is my own experience. Uh, I have wonderful memories of so many of the great bands of the 60s and 70s. Uh, so they're all in that, too. Uh, Troy, when he went off to um, 
the uh, Air Force Academy. That was where I had wanted to go because I'd wanted also to be a fighter pilot when I was a teenager. But then my eyes got screwed up. And, and I at that point, you couldn't they wouldn't take you as a pilot unless you were 2020 or better. So I lost the chance to be a pilot, which turned out to be good because I would have ended up dropping napalm on farmers in Vietnam, and that I wouldn't have done. So I would have got court-martialed, and that would have led to more trouble. But <clears throat> in any case, um, each of the four represents my own experiences transmuted uh, into another person with a different personality. Yeah, that's great. Well, you deal with a lot of issues in this book. You know, the the antagonist is not necessarily a person. It might be things like poverty, the world around them, you know, trying to get ahead in a, in a, in a difficult world, coming off uh, the farm setting and moving out into a different world. Uh, themes of the book, you know, the morals of war. You have this romance between adopted siblings, equality and justice. But uh, we're just going to have to let the uh, listeners go out and buy the book in the series because I've got a few writing life questions for you now. All right. Um, uh, so just uh, just quickly, a little bit about your novel writing process, because you've done everything, Mike, it sounds like. I mean, and I'm just curious what a guy who's such a jack of all trades does when he sits down to write a novel. Is there a process or do you kind of just uh, do, you, do you evolve each time you write a book? Well, I think it's different, Landis, with each book. Um, I was just, um, I came to mind that uh, my wife Peggy and I were uh, living in a small island in Hawaii in, 19, in about, no, 2011, when they, in this small island con, called Molokai, which is considered by National Geographic as one of the 10 most beautiful islands in the world. And this energy project came in that was going to cover the island with windmills. And... Um, and be cabled underneath the ocean uh, to Oahu, where Honolulu is, so that they could continue to keep the doors open while they air-conditioned their shops. And I mean, it was a huge scam. Wind projects are always a huge scam. I, When we realized this massive destructive project was coming to Molokai, I decided to write a book explaining if it was fiction, but everything I said in it was true. The crooked governor, the crooked legislature, the under-the-table payments, every the true value of wind power, which is basically non-existent. And that became one of my best sellers, uh, Saving Paradise. Um, and but I was started, I was what what initiated it, the catalyst was this horrible threat to this magnificent, beautiful, undeveloped island. Mo pretty much undeveloped, the least developed of all the Hawaiian islands. And you cannot put 600 feet howling towers all over a beautiful place uh, without destroying it. So and then another example, we just happened to be living in Kenya, and I became more and more aware of the connection between the Chinese and the slaughter of elephants. And uh, so out of that came the book, The Last Savannah. Mostly, I think, in each case, Landis, in almost every case, it's catalyzed by something that bothers me that I want to, I want to better understand. Mm. And you just, sit down, you just sit down and start writing? Well, I, one person asked me, what, how did you start writing Saving Paradise? And I said it was gin. Um, and gin and tonics, that'll do it, you know? Um, 
Um, oh, you heard it here first, listeners. Just just get your favorite beverage, uh, put yeah. it right down beside you, and start start writing. <laughs> yeah, well, martinis and martinis figure uh, in a major fashion in a number of my novels. I have a number of my uh, military guys. I have, have a lot of close friends and been closely working with a lot of special forces guys, and so you know, I tend to drink like them. And it's very helpful for it's very helpful for writing to be able to drink like that. And also there are other substances that, that avail themselves to creativity. Well, we got a WI now, writing under the influence. We have to be careful. There you go. All right. <laughs> All right. One one last writing life question. Yes, uh ask this of authors, particularly who've written a lot of books. Uh if you could tell your younger writing self something of value after all the books you've written, and had you known it when you first started out, it might have helped that younger writer. What would it be? That's a brilliant question. You've asked some good questions, but that's a brilliant one. Um, I wish I'd been able to tell myself when I was 30, 32, 35, don't worry, you are good. You don't have to not write because you fear you're no good. And um, if it hadn't been for Lawrence Ferlinghetti when I was 30 years old, who started publishing my poetry in City Lights, that was the first time I began to trust that maybe I was okay and maybe maybe I could reach people and people would like it. And so if I wish I could just give myself a huge dose of confidence in my 20s and 30s. Yeah, that's great. Trust yourself. That's a great thing. All right, listeners, we're going to jump over now um, to Patreon. Mike, I want to thank you for uh, sharing your time with us and talking about uh, your book and your series here on Charlotte Readers Podcast. I'm most delighted to be able to do so, Landis. I thank you very much. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.